Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everybody and welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast for match day nine of Serie A. We've had a good one, an intriguing one. <laughs> I am joined, I'm Ian Burns, I'm joined by Vita. How are you, Vita? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I only just woke up, so <laughs> yeah, still <laughs> trying to wake up and uh, obviously a good morning coffee does a bit of that to help the situation. But yeah, otherwise, it's good to talk about the latest Serie A action and see some uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, we're very different ends of the spectrum when it comes to our days. <laughs> this is the last thing I will be doing by design. Um, a reminder to anyone who's not signed up over on our Patreon, if, if you just like to get this weekly one, we do encourage you, if you can spare it, to head over to the Patreon. Um, you get multiple other podcasts throughout the week. Um definitely worth it it's two euro five euro ten euro tiers that's patreon.com forward slash total italian football um so go and do that if you please we very much appreciate it um as for the results this weekend we started off on saturday with sassuolo one into two um ed jecko we'll talk about later got his 100th and 101st sorry our goals in that game uh then it was the major game of the weekend which was AC Milan 2, Juventus 0, which we will talk about a lot because that implied a manner of things, mainly about Juventus, really. Um, Then Saturday was rounded off with Bologna Samp, which was 1-0. That was Thiago Motta versus Dejan Stankovic, which is a nice little angle. Um, And then Sunday we had Torino 1, Empoli 1. It was a late equaliser for Torino in that one. Monza 2, Spezia 0. Monza are genuinely in a patch of form now. Um, Salernitana 2, Verona 1, which is a good win. I say a good win, I keep forgetting that Verona are right down there this season. Um, Udinese 2, Atalanta 2. Uh, Cremonese 1, Napoli 4. And it was rounded off with Roma 2, Lecce 1. And Monday night will be uh, Fiorentina versus Lazio. So that will like depending on what Lazio do, that'll give a little shake up to that end of the table. Um we're gonna obviously start at San Siro. Um Milan two, Juventus nil. It was I mean, it was something of a non event in the sense that it just didn't feel very competitive. Um we'll look at it from the Milan perspective to start with. Obviously they got beaten by um Chelsea in midweek very handily. Um, they almost looked a shell of themselves. Um, so they really, really needed to show some sort of reaction. Um, would you say that's exactly what they did, Peter? I think it was a good reaction on their part, especially after losing 3-0 in that Champions League game. And also to beat Juve, uh, although Juve are struggling... The Rossoneri have had their struggles against them in recent years, so I think uh, that's another way to look at it. They should uh, look at this as a real confidence booster. And the way Milan played, in addition to how poorly Juve played, 
Uh, I think this would do good for the confidence, um, yeah, leading into the following fixtures. The, uh, the goals in this game, I should say, came from in the first half, it was Fikayo Tomori who opened the scoring. In, it's one of those goals that the more you watch it, you realise it's actually a very good goal in the sense that um, it drops in the box after I think it's for a corner and he's got his back to goal and he swivels and just wallops it into the back of the net. It was deeply impressive. Were you impressed by his display altogether? Oh, it was uh, one of his... Uh better performances and in addition to the goal he scored just before half time he probably you know I'm getting mixed up with Kalulu who had a later chance but uh, Tomori he got the goal defended very well alongside the Matteo Gabbia he had to help out the Italian youngster but uh, he also nullified the attacking threats of Milik and Dusan Vlaovic so I think that's, um, you know, that's uh, something, you know, the two talented strikers. So if you can shut them down, uh, you must be doing very well. And Juve did have a lot of possession, but uh, they weren't able to break down the Milan defence a lot. And Tomori is one of the reasons for that. Absolutely. He, I think he needed, um, he needed a big performance here because... Heading back to Chelsea, obviously where he was kind of booted out of, as it were, um, there was a huge amount of focus and pressure on him to put in a very strong performance at Stamford Bridge the other night, and it didn't happen for him. Not that he was horrendous by any means, but he didn't have a good game. Um, so I think if he'd had another poor game here, I think even though it's not the way it should be, people would have started to suggest that he's hitting a seriously bad patch of form or whatever, yada, yada. But I think he's he's quite quickly put that to bed because, like you say, there were some very good forwards he was up against and they barely got a sniff. Um, the second goal was absolutely superb. If anyone has somehow not seen it, um, Raheem Diaz basically picked up the ball in his own half um, and just ran and ran. And run. There's a couple of moments during the run where you think, okay, he's about to get tackled. Because you don't associate him with long-distance sprints. You know, he's a little guy. He's, he's quick, but he's not lightning. Um, but he just seemed to ride the tackles perfectly. And then, you know, the way the shot goes in in the end is slightly scuffy. But it's an absolutely fantastic goal. And he, he's a player who has had pretty minimal involvement this year compared to last year. And he's not quite managed to grasp the chances he has had. Um, and you can tell by the celebration, he felt he was proving a point, basically, with that goal. Um, do you think Pioli's going to feel the need to use him a bit more now, especially given Charles de Catalaga hasn't exactly, you know, he's a young player in a new country, he's bedding in, he's, he's not completely hit the ground running yet, which means there is more scope to rotate in that area of the pitch. I believe the rotations would be necessary and it's for some of those reasons that you have pointed out and the Catalada he hasn't uh, been overly outstanding he's only performed well in some games but I wouldn't say he has become a decisive player as yet uh, Brahim Diaz did trail off a bit uh, last season after a good start so I think you could see why Milan needed someone like the Catalada to come in 
However, with a performance like uh, the one we saw on Saturday evening, uh, I think that's something for Diaz to be happy about. And the goal he scored was fantastic. I mean, he picked up the pass that Dusan Vlaovic had played. He and he capitalised in style to beat those Juve players and to finish it. It was a fantastic individual effort. And if he can keep producing that, I think that would uh, be great for Milan so they can obtain more results. But it might also be good for De Catalare to show that uh, even though he was given chances earlier, uh, he needs to be aware that he needs to improve in some aspects of his game or he needs to develop the confidence to have a bit more influence in games because, you know, Diaz is not exactly a poor replacement. Uh, Diaz, if he's on, he can be an important contributor for AC Milan as well. Absolutely. Um, in terms of Milan carrying forward, obviously their next game, they're going to welcome Chelsea to... Sancero, which, uh, as we saw in the reverse fixture, is no easy game. And they're in a position of strength, it seems, in the group going into the first game against Chelsea. Um, But if they were to lose here, it does all turn on its head a bit for them and suddenly things could start to get a bit desperate. Do you think they can carry this form into that Chelsea game? Is is this going to be... a in, enough to sort of tap into in order to see them through? After the way they lost against Chelsea in the previous round, I must admit I'm not overly convinced as yet, but those kind of results serve as a, a shake-up. So perhaps it means that the players who have just been brought in, it shows that what they need to do to keep up to speed with the players who are regular starters in the team. And then for the team in general, it just goes to show that, you know, they play well in Serie A, but they've got to do something different to play in Europe. They've really either got to increase the intensity or they've just got to be a lot sharper in certain moments. And with that, I think uh, maybe they can put in more of a contest Without going too much into depth with the Chelsea game, I thought a lot of the goals, well, to be fair, I think all three goals, you could point at certain defensive errors from the Milan backline. So if Pioli has studied those moments and advised his players what they can do to avoid a repeat scenario, then, you know, they might put themselves in a better position to at least get a point or even a victory. From a Juve perspective, let's drag it all back down to boredom. <laughs> um, it was too easy. Like it, it just—it seemed like as soon as Milan scored, the content, the contest felt over, and that's not the way that it should feel. And we've just become accustomed to this with Juve now. Um, Kev has done a piece for us on TotalHyphenItalianFootball.com about essentially how it's been another another false dawn for Juve and Allegri because obviously they beat Bologna pretty handily. Obviously Bologna aren't up to a great deal, but beat them 3-0 with some good goals um, after the international break. And then 
went and beat Maccabi Haifa. Again, not the strongest opponent, but they had to do it and they were under pressure in that situation as well in the Champions League. They simply had to win that game. And then they come here and again in another big game, they, they've just not, there was no zip. There seemed to be no real desire to go out and get a result. How how worrying is it for you, fans, that this is just continuing? It's very concerning because I don't think Allegri can really change too much on his end. More than anything, I believe it's down to his stubbornness or even his limitations as a coach. I think if you have a ready squad there that's assembled, he can do well, but he's not going to be the type of manager that can rebuild a squad or he can develop players. That Allegri is long gone. He did that at Cagliari when he was just trying to prove himself, but his Milan and Juve stint show that he needs to have uh, top players to be able to get um, the wins on the board. Now, when I see them play, they looked good against Bologna, but uh, of course, you know, Bologna are languishing near the bottom. And uh, I do think if they do have an attacking mindset, they are able to get something. But the problem against Milan was that they were too passive. There was a lack of intensity. Uh, They were quite pedestrian in the way they were moving and how they passed the ball around. And it gave Milan enough time to set themselves up defensively. When I looked at the chances, you had Quadrado flashing a shot across goal. Danilo took a shot from long range in the early minutes of the game. And then towards the end, Moise Ken, he had a couple chances from outside the box. But uh, yeah, it just goes to show they're not able to feed Milik and Vlahovic properly, which is a bit of a concern. And if you're playing in a slow and predictable manner, it's very unlikely going to generate many chances and win. If you're not going to play at a high tempo, you've got to be better tactically or your passing combinations need to be much better. And Juve just looked far too simplistic against Milan. And Milan, even though they had less possession, they were generating far more chances. And Milan had something like 21 shots in that game, whereas Juve had significantly less. So yeah, it's to show, you know, even if you have a lot of the ball... You need to be creating those chances. You've got to put the pressure onto the opposition in the final third, and Juve could not do that. Where do you stand on the... It's been widely reported for a couple of weeks now that in regards to Allegri and his job, they seem to be basically blindly saying he will be there until at least the World Cup, almost seemingly regardless of whatever happens. Do you think that's the right call or do you think they're just shying away from pulling the trigger I think they've eventually got to pull the trigger sooner rather than later but the major problem goes into the contract that they offered Allegri when he returned he's contracted to the club until 2025 so he would be due for a big payout and unless there's a certain clause in his contract that would allow Juve to sack him without paying so much, then then I can see them pulling the trigger. However, I think because of the length of his contract and what 
Juve would need to pay out. I think that's the reason why he hasn't been sacked already because Juve, with their high standards, you'd think they wouldn't tolerate just uh, these these poor results. And to think that where they are in the table now, they're not even in a European position. So it's bad enough that they're not going to fight for the title, but if they end up missing Europe altogether, that is extremely concerning and embarrassing. It just goes to show that uh, it was a bad mistake to bring Allegri back in the first place and the club hierarchy were reluctant to realise that this club needs a rebuild and and the squad in particular still needs to get rid of quite a few players. So it's one of those things with Juve. They are, are trying to paper over a lot of cracks, but keeping Allegri there still exposes quite a lot of issues with the playing personnel and also the style of play or lack of it on the pitch. So I think it's safe to say that you don't agree with that approach. <laughs> you strongly, strongly dislike the guy and what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I just think with uh, Allegri, I think it's also, like I said, stubbornness earlier, but... Uh, Again, bringing up his Coyote days, I used to admire the work he did at Coyote. They played attacking football, but he had so many unknowns and a couple of young players, and he made them better than what they really were. He really overachieved with them. Whereas since leaving Coyote, I think he's just done enough to get results with them, but you can't really say that the players have improved or they really could have done... Um, a lot more, especially in European fixtures. That's where I think he's been very disappointing because when I look at Serie A now, it's not as strong as it used to be. However, Allegri has had teams where he could have challenged the the Spanish clubs and the Premier League clubs in Europe. So I think with the way he coaches, it's very outdated. And because he's not... Uh, doing enough to help the team combine properly, uh, become more fluid. I really don't see where the improvement's going to come if they keep Allegri on their books. We're going to head to Emilia-Romagna because Sassuolo were beaten 2-1 by Inter. Now, this was a narrow win, but Inter are in that sort of zone right now where it just... Yeah, results almost come before performances now, at least just for the time being, especially with all the games coming so thick and fast. And obviously, heading into this one, they'd lost, I think it was four Serie A games out of eight, which is very, very poor. Um, And obviously, they broke the bad run of form by beating Barcelona in midweek, which was very impressive. just how important was it for them in this one to, like they they just they had to win this, didn't they? Just to get, like it would have been such a deflating moment for the whole club if they'd beaten Barcelona and then went and lost away to Sassuolo. It's one of those funny things about football. If it did go that way, to see a club, you know, get a victory against one of the biggest clubs in the world and then against a so-called provincial side, you can't beat them. It would have been very weird and disappointing at the same time. 
like you pointed out, I think, especially in Inzaghi's case, he's just got to get the results on the board because there have been rumours that he could be sacked. And even on social media, there are fans that do want Inzaghi gone, but I also think that with uh, the way things have gone, that uh, Inter do need to just get the wins. Inzaghi just needs to get the results so he can make his job more secure. And when you consider that the transfer activity wasn't particularly great and that Romelu Lukaku hasn't played many games because he has an injury, I think that's made Inzaghi's job a bit harder because when Lukaku was into the first time, he was the focal point under Antonio Conte. Then Inter, when they hired Inzaghi, they had to settle with Dzeko as the main striker. And now... Um, Jacko, at 36 years of age, he's had to um, rescue into in this scenario. So I think it's uh, important just to focus on getting the wins, regardless of how they're done. And uh, yeah, just briefly on Jacko, at least with the two goals and his individual achievement, uh, it goes that you know he's, he, his experience is handy. That at least if he's not scoring week in week out. He can make a difference here and there. Well, exactly. He he was very much the topic of this game, really, because, like I said at the top of the show, he got his 100th and 101st Serie A goals, which is very impressive. He's the, I think, third oldest to hit that lamp, that landmark. Um, the others being, I think it was Goran Pandev and Sergio Policia. Um who were slightly older than him, um, but do, do you think do you think he's a seriously underrated player in a general sense? Because I think it's one he's been around for quite a long time, and obviously because he was at City as they Manchester City as they became sort of the huge story as you know, when they got the money and everything. Um, it it does feel because like, he's been around for so long. He was a prominent name at Wolfsburg as well, even before City. He was a prominent European striker name. Um, I think he can be quite easy to overlook or or at least easy to forget that he's 36. And, you know, this should be this should be his role to me, which is filling in when either Lazaro Martinez is in yet another dry patch, where he's not scored in eight games now, um, or Lukaku is out injured, as he is. But he's ended up like you alluded to, having a lot more to do than that. Do you think he should get more credit for his contribution to Inter, but also just generally in his career? I think in Inter, it's. Uh, I think it's pretty much just what it is. I think what he gets in terms of praise is uh, sufficient because he has. He's at this stage where you know he can't be the guy that's scoring week in week out. So. Uh, there, I feel, you know, I don't think he can be praised too much more than that. Also, I do think that the expectations are a bit higher because with Inter and uh, considering that they ended up selling Kaku to Chelsea more than a year ago, I think uh, the fans at least were craving someone who was going to pick up the load and Jack hasn't done that. So 
he's just one of those guys that's going to chip in here and there, but he's not going to produce big numbers. As for his career as a whole, for me, that's a different story. I think he was part of that Wolfsburg side where they won a historical Bundesliga title and he was a big scorer in that campaign. I think in that season, 08-09, he scored at least 25 goals in the Bundesliga and he was playing alongside a Brazilian striker called Grafitu, who got 28. They were a fantastic duo. Manchester City, like you mentioned, he won at least one title there and he was solid there. And then at Roma, I think there, because you're talking about a club that doesn't have a great record in Europe, uh, they haven't been able to capture that fourth Serie A title, but he produced big numbers there. He won a couple Canoniere title one season, scoring 29 goals in Serie A. So with Roma, he produced a lot of good performances and he was a regular scorer in the goals. And he's up there in the history for one of the biggest all-time scorers. So I think there he probably deserves more praise, more love. And at Inter, again, he shouldn't be the main guy, but to chip in here and there to be the contributor on occasion. I think that's where his role can be and that's where he can be serviceable. But yeah, overall, I think he's he's a guy that should be um, given a bit more love for what he's achieved over the years. And considering that Bosnia aren't exactly one of the biggest footballing hotbeds, um, for someone like him to have the career that he's had, I think he deserves praise for that. I think when it comes to the day that he retires, I think he can look back at what he's achieved and be very happy with himself. That's the thing. I think he's a wonderful player, and I think he's the sort who, when he does retire, number one, he can do what you just said. But also, I think I think a lot of people will turn around and go, do you know, he was actually really good, wasn't he? I don't think I quite sort of clocked how good he really was until he stopped sort of thing um, and obviously there's the added praise that you can give him that he's clearly managed to keep himself in fantastic physical nick to still be playing a lot of football for a 36 year old striker at a high level you know he's still playing the Champions League and stuff um, but yeah that was a very important win for Inter um, gets them sort of closer to being back on track I, I can't quite bring myself to say that two wins is back on track um, if they go and beat Barcelona um, at Camp Nou then different story then they're effectively into the round of 16 again barring any mad results after that in the last two Champions League games and things all start to look a bit healthier Lukaku should be back from injury Brozovic will come back not too long after and all will be well in Inter's world but because it's Inter that's probably not what's going to happen. Something weird will happen. <laughs> but we'll wait and see what that'll be. Um, we're going to head to Udinese 2, Atalanta 2. Well, this, this was, I think, I think intriguing is the word for this game when you see it on the fixture list. Because um, obviously they're both up in the top four before the game kicked off. And they still are. Um, and you wouldn't expect them to be there necessarily. Not so much. It's not so much of a shock with Atalanta, but obviously Udinese wouldn't expect to be in there, uh, coming into match day nine. Um, but Atalanta went 2-0 up, and I, I caught bits of this game. Um, I wouldn't say they were 
blow it who knows who away by any means. But they took took the chances um, and ended up two 0 up, and then they let it go <laughs> and and drew to all. Um, do you think that is something that could potentially not a wind out of Atalanta's sails? Possibly that they didn't capitalise and get a win against a team right next to them in the table. Potentially, it could uh, you know affect the momentum in some way. Uh, it's against against sorry against Udinese. They have obtained some pretty impressive results against them in recent years, and there have been quite a few games in which Atalanta have absolutely annihilated Udinese. So uh, to go two 0 up and then to squander a lead like this, um, it's very an Atalanta-like, should we say? Usually, I would go 2 nil up, and then you're thinking, when's the third goal going to come? And in this case, uh, Udinese were able to turn it around, showed some good spirit. They didn't crumble like they did in previous fixtures, and uh, and they managed to salvage a draw. However, from the Atalanta perspective, I think one of the differences is that they don't have the same offensive talents as they did in the previous years. Okay, Muriel scored a goal from the penalty spot and he set up Lookman in this game, but uh, in other times, you know, he would have added to that. Uh, there's no Duvins Zapata. Um, uh, Pasolic, you'd expect him to bank some goals from midfield. And then, of course, uh, two players who were integral to this recent rise of Atalanta, Papu Gomez and Josip Ilicic, they're both gone now, and uh, they were the kind of players that could turn games around for Atalanta, or they made the play a lot more unpredictable. So uh, they also helped a lot in creating these onslaughts. So when you don't have those kind of players fit or they're no longer at the club anymore, uh, I think uh, that makes a difference. It's certainly impressive from a Udinese perspective to be 2-0 down in this game. Bear in mind that perhaps this is just me not having the brain of a elite sports person, believe it or not. Um, but I feel like the fact that they, they have to be they have to surely be aware that they are overachieving right now. If you go 2-0 down in this sort of game, I can I can just I feel like felt like for me it would creep into the back of my head of what well, you know what? People aren't going to be too angry about this. You know, we're against another team right near the top. We've been playing extremely well. Every winning run has to come to an end at some point. I think they'd won six on the bounce. But they didn't. They obviously didn't let those thoughts get into their head. And they ended up drawing two all. Jared Alfo scored a gorgeous free kick um, to make it 2-1. And then about 10 minutes later, Noyan Perez got the equaliser. And I just think... I just think there's been multiple moments now with Inezio where I've thought to myself, oh, this could be the moment where the bubble might burst to an extent. I don't think it's going to... This season, I don't think it's going to burst in any sort of way that sees them drop any lower than maybe eighth or whatever. I think they're definitely in for a top-half finish um, and sort of the upper elements of the top half, if you like. But, you know, I, I feel like I just keep getting proved wrong by them, basically. Do you feel like that? At this stage, they do look like a team that's pretty much proving any other critic or detractor wrong. In other years, uh, 
they would have probably just um, laid down after 2-0 or just given up like you put it. Uh, however, this season, uh, they've shown not just good organisation, but they do have a better spirit around them. And under Andrea Sotil, they are a more competitive side. And they're certainly one of those teams where the whole is definitely greater than the sum of its parts. It also helps that uh, Delufeu, who's in his um, second or third, I think actually third season at Ududanese, I think he's really settled into that talisman role. So it just reminds me of the Guidolini in the early 2010s when they did have all these hidden gems performing well, but to have someone like Antonio Di Natale back then made a world of difference. He was a true match winner, someone with some actual class. And this time they've got Delufeu, who scored with a fine free kick. And when you have someone with those kind of talents to lift your team, that also helps a lot. So all this extra battling, you know, like to win the ball back, to close down the opponents, and then to try and remain organized and effective when you do have the ball, those are all integral things. But when you have a player who provides a bit of X factor, a bit of flair, uh, that helps too. And uh, I think uh, Soto in this case has done a great, job you know to find that balance you know to make sure the getting good protection defense but uh, De Lefeu has the teammates to work with so when they do go forward they're able to do some damage and uh, to get a draw against this Atalanta side given the impressive start of the campaign uh, that's something they can be very happy about another team who got I'll say another, that was a draw. But I was going to say another team that got a win this weekend. Napoli are winning again. <laughs> they beat Cremonese 4-1 in, in Cremona. Um, but, you know, for people perhaps waking up in, you know, places like, say, Australia, or uh, do Canadians wake up now? There's a lot of Canadians who obviously follow Italian football. Um, but anyway, the point being, you might wake up and see 4-1 Napoli and think, oh, Napoli have done another really big win. They've blown somebody away again. But that really wasn't the story in this one because it was one all until the 76th minute. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I felt like, you know, you start to think to yourself, is this the sort of slightly tricky away game where they lose a bit of the momentum? But that's not proved to be the case. And... I don't know about you, but I, I can't see when when they are going to lose the momentum. The way things are going now, I can only suspect that big break for the World Cup might be the thing that breaks the momentum. The way Napoli have been playing so far, they've just been absolutely outstanding. And the new players have integrated so well. Players like Kim Min-jae and Kavicha Kavaratskelia, they just are doing things seamlessly. And also another player that's been brought in, Matias Oliveira, he's also been playing quite well when he's been given the opportunities to play instead of Mario Rui. So um, big credit to the directors for finding those players and the Spalletti for being able to fit them into the team as he has done. As for going back to this momentum breaker type stuff, I do feel that it's either the World Cup that stops them 
or if somehow they get a few more bad injuries. They've done well without Victor Ozyman on the pitch. Uh, Giacomo Raspadori is someone who has um, played well. And and even if Raspadori doesn't score, as we saw in this game, Giovanni Simeone stood up. So uh, when you have a few options around, it makes a lot of difference. If someone goes, then there's someone who can step in and make an impact, which is very useful. Uh, if they do continue the the momentum after the World Cup, then it'd be a bit hard to see where the momentum breaks aside from if they do get some serious injuries. But uh, there's so much to like about this Napoli team. And to get the late goals like they did against Cremonese, it shows that they're a team that truly play for 90 minutes. It's not this old-fashioned Italian way of results into game management and only playing well in patches. Uh, this Napoli team... When it, when it comes to the latter stages of the game, they're still fit. They're still wanting to play football, still wanting to put a show. And they believe that, you know, it's playing with this attacking mentality. That's the way to get results. And so far, it's been working for Spalletti and his men. Um, Roma also won this weekend. Um, quite an unusual game for them. Chris Morning opened the scoring. Um because he's the best defender in Europe, I've decided. Um, and then Morton, for, for legal reasons, that's a joke, before <laughs> before anyone takes it seriously. Um, Morton Hulmond got sent off in the 23rd minute, so already 1-0 down. You'd think that's Lecce's chances of getting anything at the Olympico Goost. Um, but then just for half-time, Gabriel Strafezzo, who's by far the most exciting player there, got one back. Samuel Mtiti made his first start and got the assist for that goal, incidentally. And then, really the main takeaway from this game is the very much on brand. Paolo Dybala took a penalty just after half-time. And he scored. And then about four steps into his celebration, he pulled up and started holding the back of his leg. And that was the end of his evening. And he looked distraught, as you'd expect a player who has struggled with injuries nearly his whole career, especially of late. Um, and yeah, the, nothing has come out right now about how long he might be out for, whatever, as we record. But, um, you know, there's a World Cup around the corner. Argentina have got very lofty hopes. There are a lot of people's favourites, and he is a key part of that team. And he's also, you know, getting into some good form for Roma as well. That, that's got to be a major concern for him and Roma and Argentina, hasn't it? It certainly is. It seemed that, you know, based on the way that he was starting here for Roma, that uh, the injury woes that he had at Juventus were eventually going to be cast aside and that nothing severe would really happen. But when you consider that the World Cup is just over a month away, you'd hope that he can recover okay and then and then at least for Argentina's sake that they're still able to bring him to the World Cup and that even if he's not starting, that at least he's a player that Scaloni can bring off the bench. As for Roma, he is someone that can, you know, turn games around. He's been a good scorer for them so far. And uh, losing him won't be easy to deal with for Jose Mourinho because 
you see with uh, Zaniolo, he got sent off in the Europa League. So sometimes you've got to wonder, you know, with Zaniolo, he's someone that can win a game off his own boot, but sometimes you wonder if his mind's in the right place. So I think Mourinho needs to have a few more discussions with him to just keep him focused on playing football and ensuring that he can produce more magic so Roma can win more games. And uh, another thing too is that uh, Belotti in the centre forward role um, he's still essentially a backup to Tammy Abraham at this stage and uh, his impact hasn't been particularly outstanding as yet. So um, if they lose the Bala, I think it puts pressure on Pellegrini to do more but also I think it shows that Zaniola needs to be more focused and guys like Belotti, Abraham and Shamurodov, you know, whatever opportunities they get, they just got to be able to score as many goals as they can. And if it's not scoring goals, they still got to be a pest for the opposition defenders. So if they can lay off chances for their other teammates, that's another way they can contribute for this team as well. Final game we're going to mention in any sort of depth. Um, is just mainly because we've got you exclusively here. Um, Bologna won, Samp won. Obviously, Dejan Stankovic is now your leader. Um, how did you assess his first game? And a decent res- a decent result and a decent performance too. I do think there is room perform- for improvement, but uh, after let's say, a mediocre first half, if you like. I thought in the second half, there was a bit more improvement. I saw a bit more desperation in the defending. And also, there were moments where, you know, when we tried to put a few passes together, we looked a bit more incisive. Uh, We played better in tighter spaces than what we did under Giampaolo. And we looked less predictable. I thought um, it was a bit of a fortuitous goal for some to get the equaliser for... Um, uh, Laris's shot turned into a cross and then uh, Juricic uh, apparently the ball hit his head but to me I sometimes wonder if it actually hit his chest it was hard to tell with the camera angles and then towards the end Sump had a couple chances to win it but there was one particular chance where Sumaro put in a last ditch tackle to block off Caputo otherwise Caputo would have been clean through on goal and probably would have been in Skorupski with ease to beat the winner. But uh, a lot of work ahead, I must say. But I think with Stankovic, someone who's already familiar to Serie A football after an illustrious career with Lazio and Inter, and he had a good spell at Red Star Belgrade, winning three league titles, two Serbian Cups, and he had some decent results in European ties. One tie in the Europa League, he held um, AC Milan to... A 3-3 aggregate score, and Milan only went through on away goals. Um, and if memory serves me correctly, uh, Red Star Belgrade got a 2-0 win against Liverpool in one time where I think he was the coach. So um, something to you know be a bit confident about. And uh, if he can uh, you do something with the resources at his disposal, I think uh, it would be, would be a big achievement for him if he can help guide some to survival because at the moment uh, things still look very dire <laughs> right well lovely um reminder to everyone who is not signed up on patreon 
patreon.com forward slash total telling football. We got preview podcasts ahead of each set of Serie A fixtures. There's um, the Serie A Feminale podcast that me and Connor do. There is the Euro show as well, uh, rounding up what's been going on in the Champions League for the Italian sides. Um, so two euro, five euro, ten euro tiers. Um, you can just give it a go for a month until you get on. And if you're not a fan, that's fine. You won't have lost too much. You can cancel it and just give us a month. See how, see how you get on because <laughs> there's a lot going up on there. Um, and then you won't be limited to just this one podcast a week. Um, apologies that it's just the two of us as well. Connor is still away and Kev has been done in by the institution that is English Trains, meaning that he wouldn't have appeared until stupidly late UK time. And we didn't want to wait for him because <laughs> it would have been very, very late. Um, and he, he said, little peep behind the curtain as to why Kev's a weirdo, he's, he's been in London. And I think he said to us on his message that he's had porridge at 8am and then nothing else since. I'm not sure how he's managed that. <laughs> given he's been in a city and stuff and at a football match but he has so you know that's what Kev does that's how he spends his weekends <laughs> so I'm going to call it there say goodbye Vita goodbye and goodbye for me <laughs>